It's a world filled with antagonism, suffering, tribulation, discord, defeat, danger. And I believe that if any of us who have any sense at all and have had any experience in life, we could all say, I have been touched by this also. And the world into which this epistle is written by the Apostle Peter, therefore bearing his name, is perhaps that kind of a world times two or three. The people of God, the church, those saved ones, those ones who have been baptized, having received Christ by faith, or experiencing the constant pressure and persecution and suffering of the Roman Empire because they refuse to say that Jesus is a God among others and they refuse to acknowledge that Caesar is God. And so Peter is addressing the church. He's addressing how to live in the midst of all that is going on in a way that clearly and compellingly demonstrates that actually Jesus Christ is Lord and that we are a forgiven and accepted people before God and that we are going through this life being formed into the image of God, into the image of Christ as God's Holy Spirit works in our lives and that we are headed for heaven, that we are strangers in a foreign land that we've been taken out of the land of the enemy and have been transformed, transported into the land of God's Son. He's telling them, this is how you live in this kind of a circumstance. So he begins the letter that way. And so this morning, what we want to do as we are continuing through this letter, having understood and are gaining insights into what God has done for us, as a foundation for our being able to trust him and walk with him in a way that glorifies his name. We continue to do that this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Father, thank you so much. Father, what a great testimony already this morning. Not essentially and primarily to the faith of these who have been baptized, but primarily and essentially to the mercy that you have provided in sending Jesus to bear all of our sin to the cross. And as a result of the resurrection, sending the Holy Spirit. To convict us of our sin, of our need of a Savior. And convicting us, saving us. And moving in our hearts that we would say yes. To your great gift of eternal life as we are rejecting our sin, receiving Christ. Thank you for this. Father, this morning as we continue to look at your word, 
Father, continue to minister to us that we may be faithful witnesses to this greatest of all events, the coming into the world of your Son, our Savior, for our redemption, therefore for your glory. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how does Peter prepare the church and how, how is he preparing the church to live in such a world as this? First of all, he reminds them of their true identity from God's perspective. He reminds them of what God has done. In order for us to walk as believers in a way that honors and brings glory to God, we must always keep in mind from God's perspective what he has done to make everything possible, everything available to us so that we can live a life for his glory. So he reminds them of their true identity from God's perspective. He calls them elect. You remember in the first verses of Peter 1, they are elect. What does that mean? They are the ones who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has gone out and has scooped up these folks from life, from their sin, from their degradation, and has saved them. They are God's elect. They have been chosen by God. But not only are they elect, but you see, they are exiles. Remember, they are elect exiles or aliens. Why? Because once they have been saved, once they have been forgiven of their sin, once they have called upon the name of the Lord, having realized that they need to be saved from the wrath of God, once that has occurred and they have received God's God's offer of grace in Jesus Christ, they become citizens of a new land. They become citizens of heaven. Now that's great, but the problem is they are citizens of heaven while remaining as citizens on this earth. And as a result, they are becoming exiles. They are becoming those who are living as God's people in a foreign and hostile environment. Listen to what Colossians 1.13 says. The apostle tells us that God has delivered us. Who are the us? Those whom God has called and has saved. God has delivered us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his son. So they are now experiencing life as aliens, life in a hostile world. So you see, now that Peter has told the church what God has done to equip them for living in a world all the way into where we have come from, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. He has told them all that God has done. Now that he's done that, he's now going to tell them how to appropriate all that they have learned. We've learned a lot. There's a lot to be learned. God has done an awful lot, and we know all the truth. We've seen that over the last weeks. But you see, the purpose of doctrine, the purpose of truth, is always for the application or the living out of the truth or the doctrine. God tells us all of this so that in our lives it may become effective, so that it may change me 
into the living reality of what that truth is all about so that as I, so that as you are changed by God's truth, others see the display of that truth. And as they see us, especially under difficult circumstances, living totally differently, having totally different attitudes and ideas and reactions to what is going on around us that may not be pleasant, the world is trying to figure out what do they have that I don't have? Why aren't they experiencing the same kind of fear and frustration and depression and all of the difficulty that I'm experiencing in the same circumstance? What is different about them? What is different? They have the life of God himself in them. And that is a great message, and that is a great power of the gospel. So this morning, let's read these verses before us, and let's look at what the apostle tells us of how to appropriate, how to put in a living way what God has already done. And I'm going to be reading from New, Amer- um, New American Standards, a little bit different translation, but I like it a little better than the others, so it'll be almost the same as yours. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. And coming to him. Now, who the him? If you look at the verse right before it, it said at the end of that verse, the Lord. You see that word Lord in the previous verse, verse 3? Lord is referencing Jesus Christ. And coming to him, or coming to Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. How to appropriate. How to make real in my life all that God has done. I would believe, if you're like I am, you have struggles in this area. We struggle in this area. The struggle isn't believing God has done this and God has done that and I believe this and I believe that. That's not much of a struggle. The struggle is how does it become real to me so that it actually begins to change who I am from a person who does not trust God, from a person who is whining and wailing and mistrusting and fearful, to a man or to a woman who is trusting God and is living in a way that honors and glorifies God. Well, what does he say? Look at these words. He says, coming to him. Coming to him. That's how it's done, coming to him. You see, this verse 4 gives us the first two crucial criteria for honoring and pleasing God. How do I do it? Coming. Now, do you notice what tense the word is? 
It's a participle. You remember those ing verbs, those gerunds in English when you used to study English from that little old man, a little old lady who used to give you all this stuff and you knew it wouldn't be important anyway, so you just had to do what you needed to do to get out of class and never worried about it again. And here we are back in grammar class talking about participles and gerunds and verbs. How significant this word is. It says coming. It's a word which indicates continuous action. It obviously has to begin somewhere because if you've never come, you can't be coming. But if you are coming, that obviously indicates that some kind of way it began. But the beginning of it isn't supposed to stop. It's supposed to continue and continue and continue. Our life, our trust, our walk with Christ... Our living in this world as aliens is to be described by a continuing coming to Christ. So the first thing is coming. The second thing is coming to him. To whom? To Jesus, to God's son. To the only one who can save and secure us. We come to him to be saved. He is the one who says, behold, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. And so we come to him. But once we come to him, there is a continuing coming to him on a regular daily basis. Every time I'm tempted to sin, I need to come to Jesus. Every time I'm having a difficulty and I'm confused, I need to be coming to Jesus. Every time anything is going on that in, would any way detract from my faith in him and my dependence upon him, I need to make a decision to be coming to him. My life needs to be lived as a continuing treadmill, if you would, of continuing in Jesus, continuing that it will never stop. The difficulty is, is when the treadmill stops and we get off, then when everything collapses. So let's first make sure that everything that we're talking about this morning and actually that the apostle has been talking about is contingent upon this coming process in order for it to be real in my life. Coming to Jesus. Listen to these words in Acts. Peter is preaching in Acts 4 and he says, And there is salvation in no one else. Now, he didn't say there was salvation in what you do and how good you are and how much you try and what your mom and them think and the way you were raised and what ceremonies you went through when you were a child. He said there is salvation in no one else, no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what is that name? He's been preaching the name of Jesus Christ. Now, either the Bible is right and God has told the truth, or you can have eternal life in a bunch of other ways. This is an exclusive, narrow message. Why? Because it's the truth. It's simply the truth. What is the result? What is the result when we come to Jesus? We're saved, we're forgiven of all of our sin. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And you see, coming to him is not the beginning of something that now has to stop and I have to begin to work, but the coming is my way of life. Our way of life must be always coming to him, no matter what the circumstance is. Now, you notice here, 
that Peter uses an Old Testament designation for God when he says coming to Jesus because he calls him a living stone. A living stone. And in using the word stone or rock, Peter is referencing a huge revelation of God from the very beginning all the way through the Old Testament. It is a monumental revelation here that if you know anything about the Old Testament, he collects an enormous amount of understanding and allegory and reference into this very little word stone or rock. Listen to this word from Psalm 95.1. Oh, come. Do you see what it says? Come. Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. To whom? To the rock of our salvation. You see, but Peter doesn't just call Jesus a rock. He's not just an old cold stone. He's a living rock. See, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is strong. He is stable. He is steady. He is sure. If your life isn't being experiencing of these kinds of things, then where are you standing? On what kind of ground are you standing? Is your life being built on shifting sand? Or are you standing on the rock? Are you hoping to stand before God one day on the basis of what you have done and what you hope you have done well? On the basis of your sincerity? of the basis of some of your religious activities? Are you hoping to stand before God himself who has given his son to die on the cross on the basis of any other work except receiving that work by faith and expecting that God is going to say, it's okay, you were sincere, let's set aside what Jesus, my beloved son, did. You can come on in, it's okay. Because I'm broad-minded. No. Jesus is the only rock of our salvation. You see, he is the rock upon which our lives are built and are being built. And are we continuing to come to him as this rock? Are we continuing to experience his steadfastness, his steadiness, his sureness? And as we live in him who is a rock, he is over the years and through the circumstances causing our feet to more carefully and more securely be rooted in a living way into this rock in whom we dwell. He's a living rock. He's the living power of God to save us. But you see, Peter also sounds at the end of verse 4 some somber words. It's wonderful to talk about Jesus as the rock of my salvation, and he is my rock and my hope, and he is my sustenance, and he is my strength. That's great news. But look at what he says. He says he's a living stone, but he has been rejected by men. He's been rejected And in quoting that rejection, he's quoting from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. So there's something going on here. God has set his rock of salvation before men, before the world, and has said, if you will trust this rock of salvation, and if you will cleave to this rock and come to this rock, 
I will save you, and many come. But you already begin to see in verse 4 that not everyone comes. You see, because this is good news to those of us who are being saved, but it is a rejecting, rejecting news of those who won't be saved, of those who say, I can't go with that. It's too narrow. I just can't believe that God is that way. I can't believe that God is going to not save me and bring me into heaven simply because I did not say yes to Jesus. I refuse to believe that. Then refuse. But you see, when the mama tells the little baby, you will be killed when you run out into the street, and the son says, I refuse to believe it. I don't believe it will happen. I don't believe it will happen. I believe something else. And he runs into the street. What happens? He's killed. The truth remains. The truth. You may be here this morning thinking, I just came to watch my friend, my grandchild be baptized. I didn't come to be browbeated by this man. I don't like someone yelling at me. But let me tell you this. If your precious one were running out into that street and you were standing there, I dare say you would not say this. Sweetheart, don't run into the street because it's dangerous. You would start yelling and screaming and bellowing and stomping and sweating and crying. Anything you could. Why? Because you love your sweetheart. Am I right or wrong? Anybody who says I'm wrong on that? So you come into here and you hear an old person raise his voice. Why? Because there is an urgency about this. There is a divine urgency because people today are dying, rejecting this rock. And God the Holy Spirit has invited you here today, specifically through the means of a baptism, through the means of an open house, to hear the most significant news that you will ever hear, that Jesus Christ is God's Savior for the world. You see, but the stone the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. Jesus was rejected. This morning, think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about as you hear this. Is your mind rejecting this? Is your mind rehearsing other ways? Yeah, but, you know, that, that's just this. You know, I, I believe that those are rejecting thoughts. Are you rejecting or is the Holy Spirit saying to you, you know, this is ringing in my heart to be true. There's something happening in me even as I listen. If that's happening, and even if you're rejecting, continue to listen and let's see what God has for us. Let's look at verses 5 to 6. 
First of all, let me read the first four words of verse 4. And coming to him, now skip down to verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You see, coming to him is building up. Coming to him is saving and then building. Now he had the living stone rejected put in there as descriptors of this ministry of the rock and men's response to it. But coming to him, you are being built up. He didn't say you may be built up. I hope you're going to get built up. Perhaps you're going to. He says you are being built up. Coming to him is God's only method of saving and building us up. Building us up into what? A stone house. So you are being built as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. He says this is what the Old Testament says. For behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Do you see the qualification? He's giving the news. Here is what God has done. Here is what God is doing. And he's offering it to you. Are you going to believe or are you going to reject it? You see, Peter affirms that as living stones, we as believers are being joined together to become the greatest building ever constructed. Jesus is the stone, and we are pebbles, if you would. God, the Holy Spirit, going into the quarry of life, the big stone quarry, and looking around at the massive number of stones out there looking at them. God, knowing what kind of a building he will build, God, knowing which stones he wants to use, sends the Holy Spirit into the quarry of life, into the world, into this great stone quarry, and the Holy Spirit begins to grab this stone And he takes that stone, and he takes this stone. He's using the gospel, the message of the forgiveness that God offers us in Christ through the death of his son and the resurrection as a proof of that forgiveness as the means of digging out the stones. The message is God's way of taking the stones out of the quarry. And he's bringing all these stones back into his his shop. And he begins to form and fashion them and sand them and shape them and polish them. And then he places them into this structure called the temple or his house. This greatest of all buildings, a living, breathing organism called the church, the body of Jesus. All the other stones which are in the quarry will be destroyed. All the other stones in the quarry will be destroyed.
You see, as God's living stones, those who have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin had the highest privilege of any people. And the message of the gospel is to alert us to our need of becoming a stone as God begins to tell us the truth about himself and the truth about ourselves. And as we begin to hear that message of the gospel, we are either going to say, yes, it's making sense. You heard it today. It's make, I, feel, I feel that conviction in me. I sense something is going on. Something is happening on the inside of me. Or you're going to say, you know, this is preposterous. It's, 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 hopefully he won't go too much past 12 o'clock because i got to get out of here. And go. You know, is it going to be that you will be a stone in the living house of God or will you be in the stone quarry that will be rejected and destroyed forever? You see, at the end of verse 6, Peter explains how the church can become living stones. How? Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in this living stone will not be put to shame. Put to shame? What does that mean, put to shame? Put to shame on the day of judgment. Put to shame when every single person who has ever lived will individually be called into the very presence of God himself, the majestic judge. And every person will stand eyeball to eyeball before this judge. And everything about your life will be open and disclosed before this God. That's going to be an awesome day. Well, who can survive? No one. Unless God forgives of sin. No one. Well, who can be forgiven of sin? Everyone who realizes that they have it and they need to be forgiven of it and call upon the living stone for forgiveness to be saved. See, that frightens me. We don't know what fear is. This is nothing compared to the fright and the terror and the agony that will happen on that day for those who said, no, I just don't see it. This is nothing. This is a sober message. I didn't come here for this. Oh, yes. You did not come here. God brought you here for this. Certainly you didn't come here for this. I was preparing this. I had no thought of going this direction. No thought at all. And I was already 95% finished with the message, Matt. And the Holy Spirit says, wait, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about something else in the message, but something different than what you wanted to talk about. You see, the highest blessing, the greatest life, is for us who are living stones. 
That's the highest blessing. But not everyone will be blessed by this living stone. These this morning have been blessed by the living stone. How many have we had? Eleven? Eleven of us? Whatever. The shouts and the joys of this church from those who have been blessed by this living stone. Isn't this a good and positive message? But the downside, if you would, is the rest of the truth. Not everyone is going to be blessed by this living stone. Because you see, there are dire and eternal consequences of saying, I don't believe it. I reject it. I won't have this man rule over me. I don't have time for this. I just think God is different than that. I've been a good whatever, and you can name the religion, all my life. I was baptized. I was this. I was that. I gave money. I was... It's all rejection. It's all rejection. And for those who reject, this is not the best news in the world. Listen to these verses in 7 and 8. This precious value then, this stone, this precious value, is for you who believe. Is for you who believe. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But... Do you see the adversative, the coordinate conjunction, but? But. You see, the apostle is saying, it's great news, it's wonderful news, it's precious news, it's glorious news, it's eternal news, it's great and blessing. But, you see, if we're going to be faithful to the word of God, we must always include the buts. For you who believe is great, but, but, for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this cornerstone, this stone became the very corner and this stone became a stumbling and a rock of offense. Why? Because they did not believe. You see, the whole scene now changes. It changes from a positive message to a negative message. Do you believe the warning is negative? If your child, like Jonathan Ryan, has been suffering, there's something wrong in his body, and you go to the doctor and there's a cancer in his body, that's bad. But is it not a good message for the doctor to tell you of the reality of the situation in your son's life? Is that good news or is that bad news? No one wants to hear of it, but because it's there, the good news is it's there. Does that make sense to you? It's not good news to have cancer, but because you do have it, the good news is that someone has pointed it out to you. Because if they don't point it out to you, it's going to kill you. And if you came in this morning thinking you're just fine, it's not my fault. 
that you are upset about what is being said or you're uncomfortable. The problem is that you, like all of us, are completely inundated with sin, spiritual cancer, and that none of us has a chance of living through this. But you see, God has sent his doctor, the only physician who can heal us of this and who can take in himself the very poison and the death of that cancer to pay for it in his own body. And he says here, if you will come to me, I will give you the cure because I am the only one who can cure you. Now, how many of you know that if there's only one doctor in all the world who was able to cure from cancer and he says, come unto me, don't go anywhere else because you're going to die. Is that narrow-minded? Is that a bigot? Or is that a man of great, great grace? It's wonderful news. It's not narrow-minded or bigoted. If it's the truth, then flow to him. The fact of the matter is, this is the truth. This is not bigotry. It's not narrow-mindedness. It's the truth from God. You see, to those who do not believe, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, This rock will become the stone of stumbling. Why? Because they did not obey the word. What word did they not obey? What word did they not obey? Listen. Let's turn to John 3, 16. Ah, now that's better. I like that. I like that. I like that. A little better. John 3, 16. You know, let's go to Jesus because he's, so, he's just so positive. Jesus, give me a good word. Not that ranting and raving of that man. John 3, 16. How many of you love this word? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life, right? Is that a good word or not? Whoever believes in him. For God did not send in verse 17 his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through this rock. It's wonderful news, great news. See, these are wonderful, encouraging words. But it's not all the word that Jesus said. Continuing in verse 18, he says this. He who believes in him is not judged. In other words, is not condemned. But he who does not believe in him has been judged already. Why? Because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, what sends us to hell, what puts us under the wrath of God, is not that I'm so nasty and hateful. That's not what sends me to hell. What sends me to hell is my rejection of God's remedy for my sin. Do you get this? What condemns me is my rejection of Jesus Christ as God's only way to have eternal life through the forgiveness that he offers, having paid the full price for all of my sin in his death and in his resurrection offers me eternal life. And when I say yes to that, because of the wooing and winning work of God, I am saved. But when I reject it, I reject the only means of having eternal life. 
You see, it's not my problem is not that I've done so many things wrong. That is not my problem. My problem is that I reject Christ, the only means of taking all that I have done wrong and laying it upon his own son when God does that at the cross. And when I reject that man, I reject everything that God has for me, everything that God is, and every hope that I ever will have, and I close the door on my eternal status. I mean, this place is filled with so much sin, it would choke us to death if we knew about it. And yet the testimony of most is that that sin has been forgiven, and it's not because we're not sinning, it's because as sinners we are forgiven and justified by God, and therefore we have heaven as our home, and we will be with God forever! Yes! Why? Because we said yes to the cornerstone. We didn't let my pride get in the way. I don't don't comfortable. If you think this is uncomfortable, you don't know what uncomfortable is. It's coming a day of very uncomfortableness. Let the uncomfortableness that you're feeling today drive you to the cross of Christ so you can receive the one who is comfort for us. You see, God pleads with us today. They rejected it. You see, the issue with God is not all of my sins and what I do and what I didn't do and why I did them and I didn't do them. It is our reception or rejection of the sacrificial death of his son as his only means for my salvation. That's the issue with God. So here is God's assessment of the life of every person who has ever taken breath upon the earth except for his son. I'm in this, you're in this, your mom and Emma in this, the sweetie pies are in this, my grandchildren are in this, everyone is in this. Each of us has and continues to personally and repeatedly Reject God's rule and reign over their lives by sinning. You see, the problem isn't sin that you said a bad word. Or you got drunk. The problem with sin, it is an affronting attack against God's majestic right to rule and to reign. It is a (laughs) repudiation of God himself. I will not. Have you rule over me? Now, how many of you would be daring to come up here and say to God that kind of stuff? Who, oh, not me. Your sin does it loudly. Romans 3.23 and 6.23, put them together for all have sinned. We're not just talking about a couple of things. We're talking about a repeated, continual way of life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin then is death. That doesn't mean just I'm going to die. That means the death experiencing of eternal wrath of God forever. Jesus used the word hell a lot. Why? Because he was telling people of the reality 
of what was coming if they said no or they rejected. It's a real place. It's a real experience. And it's an eternal experiencing. Never, ever, ever, ever ending or abating forever. And once I die having rejected Christ, the door of hope and opportunity is closed forever. Say, well, that bothers me. It should. It's supposed to. And if you're sitting here beginning to be very worried and nervous and upset about that in your life, that is where God wants you to be. But you see, the rest of the good news is this. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As horrible as my sin is, and as damnable as my destiny is, the blood of Jesus wipes it all out and totally erases it and brings me to God as a child whom he brings into his family and personally loves and cares for for all eternity. This is the stone's work. This is what God is desiring to do for you today. If you're sitting here this morning realizing for the first time maybe, or the second or third time, what's really going on in your life. This stone will either break us of our sin and we will call upon him for eternal life, for for the forgiveness of our sin in order to have eternal life, or we will be crushed by this stone if we reject him. Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said, Have you never read in Scripture the stone that the believers rejected has become the chief of the corner? This is what we just read. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Now listen. Here's what Jesus said. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. In other words, if I fall on this stone by faith, Lord, save me, forgive me. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. I don't want any part of that anymore. It's been horrible. I detest it. Get it out of me. I repent. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Those are the ones who are falling upon the stone and that hardness of heart is being broken up and God is saving that person. But the one who rejects, it says, and the stone, if it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This morning. This morning I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give us opportunity To come to this stone. I believe the Holy Spirit this morning wants to say this to us, as he's been saying. There are stones in this congregation this morning. And you are living as cold 
and dead stones in the quarry of life. And today is the day that I want to take you out of that quarry of life, out of that stone pit which will all be destroyed and blown away. I want to take you out of that today. And I want to bring you in. And I want to cleanse you. And I want to shape and polish you. And I want to put you into my home forever. Oh, I know your religious activities. I know your background. I know your good works as you would see them. I know you're evil. I know all of that. I know all that you've done. I know how despicable you are. But I want you. I want you. And I have paid the greatest price, the death of my own son, that you can have this. As Matt plays, as we bow our heads. This morning, you may be experiencing, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second or third time, something going on in the inside of you which causes you to have a lump in your throat when we begin to talk about the wrath of God and hell and unforgiveness and sin. And you begin to have that feeling. I don't know about me. I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I've never known this, but that's what's wrong with me. You see, what's wrong with us is not that we had a bad day and the world doesn't treat us right. What's wrong with us is that we are filled with sin and we have not received the stone. That's what's wrong with us. And if God is working that work inside of you, why is he doing it? He's doing it, conviction, to bring you home. Reveal, deal, heal. He's revealing to be dealing. Come to me. Come to me and say no to the sin and yes to my son. Come to me today and become part of the living house of God. We're not talking about joining Lakeview Christian Center. We're talking about becoming part of the family of God. You may have never done this before. You may feel it's awkward. It might be. But the greatest thing of all is a result of saying yes to Jesus. So as we pray, and as you bow your heads, <clears throat> if you were here this morning feeling and experiencing this, and believing, I think this is what God is doing, or I know this is what God is doing, if you have been terrified by the plight of your sin as unforgiven before a holy God, and you want that to be settled forever, and you want to be cleansed and forgiven, and you want to have eternal life and new life, that feeling and desire is from the Holy Spirit. He is saying, come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. Would you get up and come to the front that we may pray for you? Would you get up this morning? Come this morning to become a living stone in the house of God. Don't say no. No more rejection. No more reasons why you can't come. Come this morning and say yes to Jesus. God has invited you specifically this morning to be here, to hear this word through this man for this purpose. And there are some here today. Don't leave rejecting this stone. 
We don't know whether God will give you one or two more opportunities. We have no idea. All we know is this, that those who say no to the stone, for whatever reason, are crushed by the stone. And we don't want you to be crushed. And you certainly yourself do not want to be crushed by this stone. So we'll wait a moment as the church prays. You've never surrendered your life. You're hoping for some kind of a chance something will happen when you stand before God on the day of judgment. You may not even believe in the day of judgment. But any of that says you need to come down and you need to receive Christ for the cleansing of your sin, for the saving of your soul, to become a living stone in the house of God. Anyone at all, anyone else, anyone at all. We'll wait a moment or two more. Every person you saw today being baptized has made this decision. And listen to the joy. Listen to the joy. <clears throat> Don't hold on to yourself anymore. Let yourself go. Fall into the hands of a loving God who will cleanse you, make you part of his family, and give you eternal life forever. Come on down. Come on down where... God will meet you and shower you with love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. You have one thing to lose, your damnation. You have one thing to lose, your damnation. You have one thing to gain, eternal life. Come on down. Come on down this morning and receive the cleansing, forgiving work of a loving God who says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Come unto me. God stands this morning pleading with you, come. Come down. He's moving in you already. He's mighty to save. Come down to receive what God is doing. Be coming to Jesus. All we're going to do is pray with these who have come. To pray with them, to make sure that they are being birthed into the kingdom of God. Don't leave today hoping there's another way. There is no other way. Don't leave today hoping there's another chance for you. We don't know whether there's another chance. Don't leave today if God in any way is touching you to say, go down. This is your day. Don't wait for Bible study. Don't wait for Alpha. Don't wait for the TV program to come on that you watch. Come today. Come now. For God is saying, now come. Come now. Could we have Frank and Annette and some of the other brothers and sisters come pray?